would, would you mind standing, please? And if you turn to page 976 in the Pew Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read down through uh, chapter 1, verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray to our Father. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would now please send the Holy Spirit powerfully upon us, that you would pry open our cold, resistant hearts and give us grace, Father, to hear your word, to believe it, to obey it, and to rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've been thinking a lot about mission. Uh, We've got Vacation Bible School coming up, and I really do see this as a marvelous expression of a growing, deepening, broadening sense of mission at Metrocrest. We've been through some tough times. We've had some challenges. Uh, It's been only natural that we would be focused on other things from time to time, but I really sense a a renewed desire to engage with our community, and I think that's of the Lord. I really do, and I was thinking about a book of the Bible that might help us as we think through that process, and as I said, you all suggested Ephesians, and I think that is exactly right. I think the Lord spoke through you in suggesting this book, and I hope you will Uh, join with me in turning to this book and and to be specifically thinking of it as guidance from the Lord to us as we think about the next stage in our church life. In this season for growth, what are some things we need to carry with us? What are some things that will shape what we do and how we do it? Uh, I want to suggest to you that Ephesians is exactly right for that. It brings with it a whole lot of guidance that I think is going to wind up being very practical to us as we think through the challenges and the opportunities of this season. 
Uh, the book of Ephesians is a very interesting book. Uh, I always find it interesting to look at Paul's letters um, in the context of his experiences there. So if you would, flip back in the Bible over to Acts chapter 18, just a few pages to the left. Acts chapter 18. We did a long series on the book of Acts. Just want to remind you of some of the things we looked at that have to do with Ephesus. If you look on page 927 in the Pew Bible, and if you look at uh, uh, verse 18, Acts chapter 18, verse 18, it says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer uh, and then uh, took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. This is as he was uh, leaving Corinth. Uh, we just finished a series on second on first on second uh, uh, corinthians he set sail for syria and with him priscilla and aquila at syncrae he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to ephesus and he left them there but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the jews when they asked him to stay for a longer period he declined but on taking leave of them he said i will return to you if god wills and he set sail from Ephesus. This is the first reference of Paul visiting Ephesus. Uh, it's the beginning of a long relationship with the church in Ephesus. If you look over at uh, verse 24, the next uh, little section, it says, uh, A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila had heard him, they took him aside. Priscilla and Aquila are, are associates of Paul's. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross the, to Achaia, that's the region across from uh, Ephesus, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scriptures, uh, by the scriptures, that the Christ was Jesus. So this is the beginning of uh, the New Testament's reference to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it began with a visit by Paul, Paul going to the synagogue as he always did. He was bold, he engaged them, he taught them the scriptures. The Lord raised up another servant, Apollos, who came in, uh, had a uh, less than full understanding, was helped by Priscilla and Aquila, two associates of Paul. They taught him more about uh, the Trinity, more about God's amazing work and and uh, Apollos became a useful instrument of God's grace. And then if you look at uh, chapter 19, verse 1, you'll see a whole chapter having to do with Ephesus. In fact, Acts chapter 19 is the story, the, the main part of the story of Paul's engagement with this church to which he's writing this letter. And just look at the headings. It says, Paul in Ephesus... I look down the page a bit. It says, uh, if you look down at uh, verse 8, he entered the synagogues and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 
Uh, Paul actually spent more time in Ephesus than in any of the other churches he planted. Uh, he mentions two years here, but we know he'd previously spent two months. He will spend more time by the end of the chapter. Paul poured time and energy into the church in Ephesus. It was a, a place that in God's providence figured prominently in his ministry. It's thought that he wrote some of his letters from Ephesus to the other churches, some of the churches that he had helped plant. Perhaps even the correspondence to Corinth may have been written while he was in Ephesus, thinking through the issues of the gospel. I love the way it describes what Paul was doing. He was reasoning. He was engaging. He was talking to them and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 8 says. That's what Paul was doing, reasoning, persuading. If I had to describe what I would love to see happen at Metrocrest in this season for growth, I would love to see activity like the Hall of Tyrannus. I would love to see our church reasoning and persuading, coming alongside people, engaging with them lovingly coming into relationship with them, inviting them to our church and going to their homes, uh, becoming a church more and more that is centered on engagement for Christ, mission. Uh, that, I think, would be a great thing to make as a goal for the season of Pentecost 2022, that we would be growing in our commitment to the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw in Acts chapter uh, 2, that was exactly what the church started out doing. And here we are two millennia later, and my prayer is that we would continue to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus, that we would persuade them and that we would engage them and reason with them. So if you flip back to the letter to the church in Ephesus, the letter to the church in uh, the Ephesians, uh, that's kind of the, the relational context. Uh, this was a church that, that Paul had been deeply committed to. He had spent a lot of time there. Uh, from Acts 19, we know about some of the hardships. Uh, there was a terrific riot in Ephesus, even though he went with a heart of reasoning and a heart of persuasion. Uh, he wound up getting crossways with the culture of Ephesus. It was a big, rich, important city, and uh, they spent a lot of time and money worshiping Diana or Artemis, and Paul got crossways with that, and he wound up experiencing real hardship, real persecution. So Paul's writing to a church he knew very well and where he had experienced hardship. Well, what does Paul have to say to a church that's experienced hardship? What does he have to a church that wants to engage and persuade and be involved? What does he have to say to them? Well, we're about to find out. We're about to find out what Paul has to say, you might say, to a church exactly like us. Well, three points. First of all, he, he wants to begin by talking about being united in Christ. Second, he's going to talk uh, at more length about being blessed, specifically as children. And third, he's going to talk about being predestined according to God's purpose. Let's think about these things. And I want to suggest these are going to be three extremely important starting points for you and me as we think about our mission and our ministry here at Metrocrest. Let's think, first of all, about this idea of being united in Christ. Verses 1 and 2. Paul always has something like this to say to the letters 
in the letters that he writes to the churches. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul describes this church that he knew so well. They are saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's the way he described this group of people in Ephesus, that they were saints. Uh, if you remember what I pointed out as we read through Acts 18 and 19, you might remember that this is at the very beginning of the ministry and the mission to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15 is the council in Jerusalem where the church led by the spirit subject to the scriptures uh, understood that uh, Gentiles did not have to become Jews in order to become Christians and that was a significant turning point uh, that we go from there to Corinth and Paul's beginning to take the the gospel more broadly we we read about him coming to Philippi in Acts chapter 16 that's the beginning of the the ministry of the church in Europe. If you have European ancestors like I do, well, this is the beginning of God's mission to our people, our ancestors. This was when the gospel first came into Europe. And uh, God was reaching out beyond the Jewish people to all people. We begin to see the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. We begin to see God doing in a dramatic way what we had seen foreshadowed in the Old Testament, hinted at in the gospel of Christ, and now we begin to see it happening in real time. The, 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 the tribes, the nations, the languages, the diversity of people in the world are beginning to be exposed to the gospel. And it's to that church, a church where these things Paul was working out, led by the Spirit, that Paul says to the saints who are in Ephesus. One group of people united in Christ, not united in their ethnicity. I love the way Troy began our service this morning. We are a people that are ultimately united not by our life experience, not by our ethnicity, not whether we were born rich or poor or white or black, whatever country we came from, whatever language we've spoken. We're not primarily united in those things. We're united in Christ. We're made one in him. And one of my passions for Metrocrest is that we would lean more and more and more into that. That we would engage the community where we live. You know, uh, getting ready for VBS in this season of growth, I've been looking at the uh, statistics for our zip code. Uh, Get a spare minute one of these days. Let me show you the, the statistics for our zip code. Let me tell you, our zip code is a very diverse place. Where God has placed us, like Ephesus long ago, is a very, very diverse place. There are lots of different backgrounds, lots of different languages. And it's in that context that you and I are called to persuade and to reason. We're actually called to persuade and reason with people who worship other gods, worship other, other deities. We're, we're, to, we're called to persuade them and reason with them, to come alongside them. And I think that's a very exciting opportunity for us at Metrocrest. God has plopped us right in the middle of that kind of context. He's given us opportunities to reach out.
Now, it's something really, in a way, beyond us. All we can do is invite. We, we can't compel people. All we can do is invite people. So one of the things Teresa and her team has tried to do is reach out to our neighborhood. It's actually something I think we'll get better and better and better at doing. I think as we get more and more relationally connected to our neighborhood, we'll be finding ourselves with more and more opportunities to reason and persuade as they get to know us and we get to know them. I can't tell you how grateful I am to the mission-mindedness of the Vacation Bible School team. They have done everything they can to make it possible for us to reach out in Christ's name and to be inviting people to a unity that's bigger than a denomination or a background or a particular interest or hobby. Uh, We want to be a place that is united in nothing less and no one less than Jesus. I invited you a while ago to be praying about that. Please pray this week. Pray for people you can invite. Like I said, we can't make them come, but we can certainly invite. The inviting part's our job. The getting them here is God's job. We we just invite them. That's what Paul was doing. He, He was sharing words of invitation. Let's share words of invitation with our neighbors, our coworkers, the kids in our neighborhood, the people that we get to know, the grandkids, the friends of our grandkids. Invite them to come. Invite them to be engaged with Christ and with his gospel. Oh, that's, that is such a, a goal of mine, a desire of mine to see Metrocrest be a part of that amazing work. He describes it further on. If you look down at uh, verse 12, uh, he says, We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What he's saying is those who first believed, these Jewish converts like himself who who were brought to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit which drew the Apostle Paul drew these converts in Ephesus who came from Gentile backgrounds, that same Spirit drew them and united them in Christ. And so there's not a, a priority given to Jewish believers over Christian believers. As Paul understood it, we're one, we're united. We've had a recent experience of being united too, two churches that were united. We come with different backgrounds and different experiences and all kinds of differences. And yet the Lord, by the power of the Spirit, is uniting us more and more in one. And my prayer, my hope for Metrocrest is that through this VBS and all the other things we're planning for this year, that more and more people will be united together in Christ. And that's where Paul begins his letter, a note of unity, a a significant note of unity. And let me tell you, we need to grab hold to that note of unity at Metrocrest. As we pull together and pray together and work together, look together at what God will do, like Paul is challenging the Ephesian church to do, we will see him doing amazing things. And he begins with talking about their unity as saints who are in Ephesus and faithful to Christ. Immediately he goes from this idea of unity to talking about the basis of our unity, which it turns out is by our being blessed. Uh, look at the, the sentence beginning in verse 3. Actually, in Greek, in English, it's a little misleading. 
what he begins in verse 3, I think may be the longest sentence in the New Testament. Uh, it's broken up here with some English punctuation to make it a little easier for us to follow. But this sentence, which begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is actually one long sentence. It's, it's all almost as though, by the power of the Spirit, his mind is just gushing this realization. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're, we're blessed by God, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. See, part of the fruit of our, our being united in Christ is that we are blessed. Do you feel blessed? Do you actually pause to reflect on your blessing that you have in Christ? That's what Paul's challenging them to do here. They were certainly aware of the hardships. They were certainly aware of the persecution Paul had experienced. They had seen that in their own church life. They'd seen hardship. We've seen hardship. We've become very aware of our hardship. But Paul challenges them and I believe challenges us to look through the hardship and the challenges at the blessings. The opportunities. And what blessings he describes. This is actually very Trinitarian. He talks in verse 3 about, be, about being blessed by the God and Father, the Father, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. And look down just a few verses down at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see... As we're united in Christ, we actually receive the blessing of the the wholeness of God. The the unity in Christ brings with it unity with God. We're blessed by being one with the triune God. And uh, Colin did a wonderful job last Sunday of teaching us how in Christ we receive that blessing of, of the fullness of God's life. That's where Paul is beginning this letter, challenging the church in Ephesus is, do you know you are blessed? Do you understand the depth of the blessing that God is giving you in Christ? The older I get, I I, I have to remind myself again and again of, of how amazing it is what God has done for us in Christ. He's given us the fullness of himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He doesn't say he's given us every material blessing. That's a, that's a confusing point of modern theology. Uh, we've been told that somehow or other God's promised to give us everything we've ever wanted. He never promised that. He doesn't do that. He blesses us in all kinds of ways, materially too. But our blessings are most significantly, most wonderfully in the unity we have, the confidence we have, the blessing we have together in Christ. And in the midst of hardship, it is really, really hard to remember that. It's really hard to remember that, but it's so important to remember that. Because as we remember that, we will be bold. We will step out. We will trust him. Because we've experienced his blessing. 
Now, he describes this blessing in all kinds of ways. This long sentence, he, he talks about the forgiveness we have, redemption through Christ's blood in verse 7, the forgiveness of trespasses. He talks about the riches of God's grace, which he has lavished upon us in verse 8. He talks about uh, making known to us the mystery of his will in verse 9. But there's one particular way of describing this blessing I want to mention to you and, and challenge you and encourage you with this morning before he gets to any of that look what he says in verse 5 in this long sentence on blessing in love God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ now just pause and reflect on that sentence for a moment In Christ, God has predestined us for adoption to himself. Paul begins this letter to the church in Ephesus by reminding them that in Christ, they have been made sons, children. They're God's own children through Christ. We're made in Christ one with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And another way of saying that is we have been adopted into his family. We've been made one with that mystery of the Trinity. We're, we're participants through Christ in that miracle. The um, idea of adoption has always meant a lot to me. Uh, my father wasn't around when I, when I was a kid. And the idea of adoption, of having a father. This is a good thing to think about on Father's Day. Um, the idea of having a father is not something to be taken for granted. Uh, for me in my life, that was a, an ache I felt for a long time. I didn't have a dad in the house. I'm so glad that my kids did have a dad in the house. I'm so glad that my grandkids do have a dad around. Fathers are a wonderful blessing. But the best father is just a faint image of the true Father in heaven. And in Christ, whether we have a great father or a mediocre father or no father at all, humanly speaking, in Christ, we have the perfect Father. He becomes our Father. Uh, I've mentioned before, Jim Packer is one of my favorite writers on theology and in his book knowing god he had a whole chapter on being sons of god i just want to read a paragraph it's a little long but bear with me it's worth it he says in the new testament he's comparing it to the old testament in the new testament we find that things have changed god and religion are not less than they were the Old Testament revelation of the holiness of God and its demand for humility in man is presupposed throughout. But something has been added. A new factor has come in. New Testament believers deal with God as their father. Father is the name by which they are taught to call him. Father has now become his covenant name for the covenant which binds him to his people now stands revealed as a family covenant. 
Christians are his children, his own sons and daughters, his heirs. And the stress of the New Testament is not on the difficulty and danger of drawing near to the Holy God, but on the boldness and confidence with which believers may approach him. A boldness that springs directly from faith in Christ and from knowledge of his saving work. Unquote. In the New Testament, through Christ, through his own life, his own witness, what he taught his disciples, through that witness, you and I are now taught that we can relate to God not as some God in the sky looking for an excuse to zap us, which is a distortion we sometimes carry around in our heads, or a God who's just sort of vaguely rooting for us, maybe on the sidelines, rooting, hoping we make it. No, the God we see in Jesus, the Father of Jesus Christ, is the Father who loves us and lavishes his love on us through Christ. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of anything we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. We now have that kind of a relationship with the God of the universe. So no wonder Paul could face hardship and uncertainty. No wonder he could face persecution. No wonder he could ultimately die for the gospel. Because he knew that in Christ he had not only every spiritual blessing, but he actually had this bedrock relationship with the creator God of the universe as father. That's the relationship you and I have this Father's Day. We have a relationship with God through Christ as our Father. And that shapes everything about the way we approach him. It, it does not take away the awe and the reverence. does not take that away. The holiness, it's all there. But now that holy God whom we are in awe of, whom we worship, whom we bow before, that God we now know to be our Father. It's the way we pray to him. It's the basis of our relationship with him. It's, it's as our father through Christ. Now that will shape the way you do everything. Yes, it will give us boldness. Yes, it will give us humility. Yes, it will give us a, an eagerness to share that relationship with other people. Knowing that all those riches, all those riches are there for all who turn to Christ. Well, I hope that just gushes through our VBS. It's about the coming king. I want these kids to know that the coming king brings the love of the gracious heavenly father who created us and sustains us and reigns over us. That's the God whom we proclaim. That's the God we're inviting these kids and their families to know. They have no doubt every possible distortion, like the people in Ephesus, they have, they have non-Christian, pagan, crazily distorted understandings of God. We want to introduce them to the God we find in Christ. Well, I hope that will be right through our season for growth. That we will grab hold to that understanding. That it will give us joy and hope and boldness and an eagerness to share. Finally, last point. Paul wanted the church in Ephesus, and I believe he wants us to know as well, 
that the God whom we worship has predestined us according to his purpose. Now, we're good Presbyterians. Many of us uh, memorize parts of the Westminster Confession. I don't have to convince you that God is sovereign. Uh, You've been taught that. You hear that from the pulpit. You hear that in Bible studies. Um, But Paul has a particular angle. He has a particular point to make about our being predestined. If you look down at um, verse 11, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, in him we have obtained an inheritance. He's referring again to our adoption. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is a wonderful word of comfort. It's a wonderful word of encouragement for you and me as we are poised in this season of growth. It's a tough job we're thinking about. It's about reaching out beyond ourselves, stretching our comfort zone, rethinking how we engage our neighbors. That's not easy to do. Uh, One of the challenges is, will it work? Will it work? Will we just be wasting our time? Will we make fools of ourselves? It's very easy to be just nagged by these issues about whether we can really step out in faith. Well, Paul wants the church in Ephesus to know that, yes, they can. In fact, their very basis for what they're doing is a confidence that there is a sovereign God who predestines everything according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is a theme Paul develops in Romans. This is a, this is a theme that goes right through Paul's letters. Paul believed in the sovereignty of God. Paul believed there is a God who reigns over my life and your life and our life and the life of the whole world. He has a purpose. He has a plan that is being worked out. And you and I can step out in boldness, confidence, and joyful hope, trusting in his purpose. It's amazing. The older I get, I look back over my life and I, I just shake my, hat, my head in amazement. How did you do that? You know, going forward, we, we can see little bits and pieces sometimes. Sometimes we can't see much at all. But sometimes we might catch a little glimpse here and there. But isn't it an amazing thing to turn oh, and look over your shoulder and realize, oh, wait. This was for good, and that was for good, and this painful thing was for good. You're using it for good. This, this, this awful experience you've used for good, I now see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's where the thankfulness comes from. It's, it's not pretending as though hard things aren't hard. Hard things are hard. But as we grow, as we, as we go through this season, we look back and realize, wait, Somehow, our sovereign God brought good out of something that felt unbearably bad. That does not answer every question. But somehow, our sovereign God brought something breathtakingly good out of something that was unbearably bad. 
And that's meant to give us confidence and hope and courage and boldness. I hope you and I will lean into that confidence in the predestinating power of God who is at work in us and through us and around us and often in spite of us to accomplish his purposes. We can lean into him.